Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today, we are talking to Coach Shane Klipfell. Coach Shane is currently the head women's basketball coach at Western Michigan University. And Coach Shane has been the head coach at Western Michigan since 2012. Coach Shane has won 17 or more games five times and currently is third on the program's all-time coaching wins chart. And he is closing in on becoming the Broncos' all-time win leader. As you soon will hear, this past season, Coach Shane had 10 academic All-Mac selections, and his team posted a team GPA of 3.6. Truly impressive. Before becoming the head coach at Western Michigan, Coach Shane assisted Coach Susie Merchant for 14 seasons. First, he coached alongside Coach Merchant at Eastern Michigan for nine seasons. And in the nine seasons at Eastern Michigan, the Eagles won 160 games, including three 21 seasons. Coach Shane then transitioned to Michigan State University, where he was with Coach Merchant for five more seasons. Oh, by the way, while at MSU, the Spartans captured their first outright Big Ten title in school history in 2010-11 and advanced to four consecutive NCAA tournaments. The amount of respect that Coach Shane has for Coach Merchant in this podcast is simply wonderful. Before Coach Shane's tenure with Coach Susie Merchant, Coach Shane was the head coach at Colon High School and Glen Oaks Community College. As many of you know, I had the chance to assist Coach Fred Castro this past season at Eastern Michigan, and instantly I became a huge fan of Coach Shane. And there are a couple reasons which we cover in this conversation of why I truly respect Coach Shane so much. I was determined to highlight this great coach, husband, father, grandfather, and man. I am honored that Coach Shane would allow me to share a small part of his coaching story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. By the way, if you need fall gear and uniforms, check out my show notes below and connect with Moneyball Sportswear today. Enter the promo code DRO and gear up. And if you're looking for a book to read this fall, I highly recommend the book Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy, Alive with Purpose. See my show notes for how you can secure a copy of this amazing book, by Coach Murph. Finally, pre-order Rashad Phillips's book, Position Basketball Metric. Rashad Phillips breaks down how the evolution of basketball has called for updated terminology for player positions. See my show notes for how you can pre-order this new book by this incredible basketball mind. Enough of Coach Joe. Let's get to Coach Shane Clipfell and tell his story. Coach Shane, why do you coach? You know, Kevin, to start with, thanking you for having me on here. I've not done a podcast before, but you know, I know it's your podcast are about and we're trying to reach younger coaches and man if, if we even get one coach that takes the time to listen to us knowing that it's me you're talking to uh, i'll be flattered and if we get something here that somebody can use i'll be doubly flattered so first and foremost thanks for asking me to do this and i'm excited to be doing it but why do i coach that's a you know that's a pretty broad question and it, to me it starts with competition been involved in athletics all my life one way or another i'm competitive i think at everything that i do in fact i know i do i 
when I'm coming home from work at night, then if I see too many uh, cars in the left turn line at the street I normally turn on, I go to the next one because I know I can beat those cars through the four-way stop sign at the next spot. So I literally will look and I'm like, okay, there's a white truck, blue car, and a yellow car. And if I can get behind any of those, I know I save some time. So I'm just always competing, doing something, and always trying to win, which is not the end-all, do-all, but it certainly is part of it. But equally important or even more important is I love seeing growth in young adults. I love hearing about their lives after college, their families, their careers. And I especially love seeing the growth of the student athletes that go, that really commit to their process. And everybody's process is different when they come into college from freshmen to seniors. And I really enjoy seeing those that stay committed through it all the way through and then look back and say, man, I did it and look how I did it. Coach Shane, when did you know you wanted to be a coach? Well, you know, somebody saw that in me before I did, and it was my high school coach. So I use this sometimes when I speak to different groups, if it's the right group. Somebody saw something in me that I didn't see, didn't see, didn't feel, didn't know. And honestly, I was chasing the baseball career. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player and still say it's because the scouting wasn't very good back in the 80s, but it really was because I wasn't good enough. And uh, my high school coach, who I actually was playing some baseball with at the time too, in the San Musial League up in Battle Creek, kept saying, hey, come back and be my seventh grade boys coach. And I'm like, I don't want to coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play baseball. Right. Finally, after about three or four years, he convinced me to try it, which would have been probably about 1985 as a seventh grade boys coach at Colon High School, where I graduated from. Mm-hmm. And I've coached almost every day since. So he saw that in me and wasn't a guarantee it was going to work. But it, in this situation, it worked out well. So all your players I know are going to listen to this at Western Michigan. What type of baseball player were you? What position did you play? I was a center fielder. I was described as sometimes I looked like I was fast, and then other times it looked like I was pulling a wagon behind me. So I don't, I didn't know how to take that other than different eyes see different things. But yeah, I was a center fielder and didn't hit for power. A fairly decent hitter. I played all the sports. I was actually a four sport person in high school, but. Mm. Uh, wasn't a superstar in any of them. And just thought baseball was the one that I played the earliest and the longest, but I love any sport in general. So Coach Susie Merchant and you were such a great team. Nine years together at Eastern Michigan as our assistant. 2003 NCAA tournament, first time I think in EMU school history. Five years at Michigan State, the last three as her associate head coach. Four NCAA tournaments with the Spartans. Who is Coach Merchant? Well, first and foremost, she's a, a genuine friend, uh, has been since her and I met way back in the way year it would have been, probably in the early 90s. Uh, she was an assistant coach at Oakland University when I had taken my high school team from Colin up there to a team camp. She was basically running the whole team camp. So we connected and discovered that we had mutual friends. Her high school volleyball coach, who she adored uh, dearly was married to the girl I grew up next door to all through high school was one of my best friends. So wow. we just had that strange connection. And then we uh, stayed connected through the coaching tree and our um, head coaching careers kind of paralleled each other. I think the same three years I was a, had become a head coach at Glen Oaks Community College. She had become the head coach at Saginaw Valley. Wow. So we just through conversation and just intermittent meetings with each other through recruiting, we became good friends. And so that's the first thing I think of when I think of Susie Merchant. Uh, then I think of her as a mom and a spouse. I was there when her, not, not there in the room, but was there when she had her first baby and uh, was part of her staff at that point. So I think of her as a mom and a spouse next. And then I think of her as a colleague. And then I think of her as a heck of a basketball coach. So 
she's a lot to me. She's the person that gave me the start. It's crazy division one profession. And, right. But the things, you know, I, I think about the championships and the tournaments and the different things we've done, but honestly, the things I think of maybe even before that are the, when we have helped each other through some tough times in life. And I won't share them all, but the one that jumps out in my head is we were living in Bexford, which you're familiar with where that's at. Right. there on the east side. And uh, we had a strange flood in the condo we lived in. And the first person that showed up was Susie Merchant. Brought her boots and gloves and said, how can I help? That's just the kind of person she is. You put her success as a college coach on top of who she is as a person. It's unbelievable. Yeah, for sure. Great career. And she's got the Spartans continually rolling. You've been the head coach now at Western Michigan since 2012. You talked about competing your third right now in all-time wins at Western Michigan with the women's program. You've had some amazing teams. However, here's what just blows me away before we talk about basketball. This past season, 10 all-academic MAC players, a team GPA of 3.6. How does this happen, and what is your philosophy of being excellent on and off the court? Yeah, I appreciate that question because it's really what it's it's mostly about, right? We recruit these kids and we talk about academics and we talk about helping them get to where they want to be professionally or in a career through education. And and then we back it up, right? I think I'm the thing I'm probably most proud of is there's no way a person can go through a four-year academic or five-year academic and athletic career and not have conflict with academics that interfere with the athletic side, be it a class schedule, be it an internship, be it interviews or whatever. And we always try and avoid them, but we never take athletics over academic when there comes to an impasse. So that's something uh, we talk a lot about to the student athletes before we get them and then we back it up once we have them here. So I, I think it starts with that. I think it certainly is part of the recruiting process that you sort through that in in the recruiting and you, you want to have good students from the beginning. And But if you have one that maybe isn't, then you have to set up paths for them to be successful as well and kind of navigate roadblocks before they even are built. So I think our staff does a great job of that. Right. We put a lot of that on our assistant coaches, split them up into groups, and we allow each coach to, to spend a lot of academic time with them. And then our, our administrative department here, Jeff Stone's been here for a long, long time, and he knows how to get them where they need to be, and uh, they do a great job of that. I'm, I'm really proud we finished 19th in the country in team yeah. GPA this year. It's amazing. It's the first time I think we've done that, but it starts with the players. They're committed in the classroom, and then us helping them navigate any roadblocks and kind of staying out of their way. Yeah, it's high-level leadership. You know, you go into someone's home and you you say you're going to care about their education just as much as their son or daughter. And for you to achieve that, massive respect to you and your program. One of my really good mentors and friends is Coach Jeff Rudder. He's a new assistant coach with your men's program. And and I just texted him yesterday and I said, Coach Rutt, can you give me something about Coach Shane? I want to read you this text he wrote me back. High-quality person. Awesome family, terrific staff and roster loaded with very good players and quality people, proven winner, super organized, and has established a championship culture. How do you stay so organized? Oh, man, I, I won't say I'm as organized as maybe it appears to Coach Rudder, but I appreciate that. You know, and a lot of it is, I think, consistency in the coaching staff, and I've been really fortunate with my assistant coaches here to keep them around for a lengthy amount of time, and that helps with the continuity and keeping things in mind this way. But my wife, and I have to give a lot of credit to my wife, who she is the queen of organization, and uh, has helped me a great deal with that. 
trying to keep things not only organized, but more importantly, things in the right perspective. So it takes a team to, to make things work. And I think we have a good one surrounding us. And it's a very flattering remark from Coach Rudder, who's been here a fairly short time. But we think the same thing about that staff there. Like, these guys are going to do an awesome job here. I think we're going to do a great job working together with the, both programs. The championship culture, though, we were communicating last week and it was so cool just you know messaging with you and you said hey Kev the ladies we're going on a retreat this weekend <laughs> I started following it on social media I'm just like and it, it just hit me when coach Ryder said about culture like building a championship culture like what's your thoughts on that yeah it's something if you're not doing something that's related to that every day you're probably you're going backwards not probably you aren't going backwards so it's something that uh, we try and keep at the forefront this team retreat in particular is Though we've done something similar, we've never done one, I guess, at this magnitude where it was totally facilitated by an outside source. Like we've taken our group off campus and tried to do things from within with our own coaching staff. But this was different because we had an outside facilitator and they put them through different team building things that I didn't even know what it was going to be laid out as. So it was really fun to see that and just stand back and watch someone else work with our team and see the leadership that was emerging and developing uh, through the different things that they did. And along with that, some a little bit of fear conquering, right? We were high off the ground in a forest, and we were jumping off safe ledges for no reason other than we wanted to feel the exhilaration of going down a cable and hoping that everything went as planned. So we did a, you know, we did a lot of team learning. We learned a lot about each other. We had a lot of fun, which is a very important part of what we're trying to do with our culture here as well. And, you know, and we had a situation where it gives us a chance to, to grow through different situations. So it was a total win-win and it's something we're going to continue to build on and make an annual event for us. You know, speaking of fun, your social media Twitter feed is pretty fun. You blend the love of your wife, your family, your grandkids, traveling the west side of the state, northern Michigan, golfing, boating, funny life moments, but for sure your team, your staff, and western Michigan. And I've never seen someone so all in on every program at the university. Shane, how much do you love western Michigan? This could probably sum it up as well as anything. So in over the course of my however many years I've been between a high school head coach and a junior college head coach, assistant coach and associate head coach at two different universities and in this state, I applied for a job three different times. It was Western Michigan back in the mid, I can't even remember the year, maybe 1996, 97, something like that. Right. Didn't get a return phone call even before. They didn't even acknowledge I sent my resume in, and they shouldn't have because I was not qualified. Uh, then I did a second time in 2007, and I did a third time in 2012, both all three at Western Michigan. So this is where I grew up. I love West Michigan. I love that my family, my wife's family, is in this very uh, neighborhood still, and it's easy to get to family events when they're available. And I had this perception of what I thought Western Michigan was like, but it was only a perception because until you have boots on the ground and spend enough time there to know, it's everything I thought it was going to be. It was a blue-collar university. It said this quite often, too. It's most college campuses are all, all have bricks and mortar and sidewalks and trees and flowers, but it's the people that make a university what it is. And the people here have been phenomenal since the day I got here and just only been enhanced over the years. So this past season, I was an assistant coach for Fred Castro at Eastern Michigan. It was a great experience. I could talk about it at length. Just awesome, awesome coaching the women. But I was really, really impressed coaching against you twice. So first of all, your poise is off the charts. Against us, 
at your place, you coached the entire game from your knees, and there was a sense of calmness. It was just, I kept on looking down. I'm like, this is mind-boggling. Like, this calmness, like, is this such a big part of your coaching philosophy? No, it's probably more instinctive. I don't know that I said at the beginning of my coaching career that I'm going to try and be this poised coach, and I haven't always been as poised maybe as I am now at this stage of my career, but as far as being on my knees, I don't know. If you heard my knees crack and pop every time I got up, you'd probably really wonder why I do that, but it's just an instinctive thing I've done over the course of my coaching career, and it's getting harder and harder uh, each time to get up and down, but I, I have recognized that in myself as a, as a coach that I feel like, and I say this to my team, is you know never too high, never too low, kind of keep an even keel. And if I'm telling that to my team and I'm a raving crazy guy on the sideline as a coach and jumping up and down on every second or screaming and yelling about everything, then I'm not on an even keel and I'm, I'm probably not going to get that from our team. So kind of a practice what you preach and it's worked for me. I don't you know, I do have the ability to get fired up and riled up if we feel like we need to, but I do have a tendency to try and keep the boat sailing forward in a straight line and let the things unfold as they will. So you've been a head coach for a long time now. When you get in a timeout, what's the first thing you think about or what's your mindset approaching a timeout? Yeah, what's needed, you know, from a tactical standpoint, time score possession. Did we call a timeout or did, did right. the opponent call a timeout? Let's go into like what kind of a setting we might have in there and I try to give my assistant coaches time to give their opinions and even get in there and say something to the team before I do. But So it's a collaboration of, you know, what is the actual setting in the game? Is it something that needs a different kind of attention than what's been? But I, I'm normally pretty calm in the timeout. I'm trying to give clear and easy to understand information of what we think is happening. And I always like to ask them, what, what do you see? What are you guys feeling out there? And what do you think we need to do? Or what do you think is happening? What are we missing? So, you know, we don't, as coaches, if we think we always know all the answers, and I think we're fooling ourselves. Well, you can get a lot of good information from your team if you ask them. Really hard to score versus your team. I think we might have played a quarter at our place where it was four points each team scored, but it was a defensive battle. But, you, you know, the numbers back up how you guys play defense this year. I think you held teams right about 63 points per game. And I watched a lot of your games on tape, and, you know, it was hard to score against you. What's your core principles in teaching team defense? Yeah, it's always evolving, and I think for sure Coach Merchant, being with her for 14 seasons, and, you know, she played for a high school coach. She told this story a lot of times that he'd come out in a devil's outfit, and he was called Devil Defensky. And so she was raised in that kind of a setting, and that's where she always started each and every season was all about that. You know, so we tried to establish something very similar to that from my first season here on campus. And I've always tried to let go of more things than were comfortable to me as a head coach. And finally, this past season, I was able to fully, not fully, but almost entirely relinquish defense to Coach Russ, my wow. associate head coach. And he brought me some ideas in the offseason. It was a little bit of a Texas Tech philosophy on the men's side where they, they were so good defensively and for sure very more up-tempo a lot more pressure on the ball and really tried to dictate what was going to be allowed and what wasn't going to try to be allowed and last year's defense was fairly new in terms of a lot of the stuff we were trying to do and clearly it was pretty effective over the course of the season so we're excited about where that's at we're going to try and add some things to us defensively this year that we didn't do last year and we really haven't done in the past either but coach Russ and I were talking about it the other day and he said you know it's so much easier going into this season thinking about the defense because our terminology is there and our players understand what this means when we say this and and us coaches understand it better it was 
it really was an evolving defense for us all of last year, and we're excited about where it's going to take us. What about like with scouting? Was that easy to adjust when you're scouting and now you're implementing this new defense? Did it kind of go hand in hand this season? It, it really did. What it took away from was me trying, especially in ball screen defense, we're a lot more just consistent and it did matter who our opponent was, but not as much as before. I'd keep myself awake a lot at night. Are we doing the right ball screen defense? Should we be switching on this kid and not that kid? And you know, Should we be hedging? Should we be jamming? Should we be trapping? Right. You no, know, and it just took a lot. It made a lot of the game planning a little simpler. And this is what we were going to do. And if it, if it didn't work as the game unfolded, then clearly we made adjustments and we tried to tweak what we needed to do. But it really did allow us to simplify defensive game plans. You know, being a head coach now for 10 seasons, and you talked about Coach Russ, and I've always been impressed with your bench, very engaged, very enthusiastic, super involved in warm-ups. What do you value from your staff? I haven't been a long-time assistant myself. I think I'm pretty qualified to answer this question, and it's, it starts with loyalty. It starts with loyalty to the program and, and to each other as assistant coaches and not having animosity towards each other. And the assistant coaches will spend a lot of time together without me. And that's important, and it just happens because of the nature of what we do. But, you know, you want those people all in the same room talking your talk and backing up what's being said. So I think that's all part of loyalty. And then buy into the uh, the pillars of our program. We have what we call P4, and you'll see it in our locker room. You'll see it on our shirts sometimes. And that's the pillars of our program. You want your coaches to buy into that and reinforce what that means and how important it is to the program. And our coaching staff does that. Um, Meredith, has, uh, who played for me here, came up with a concept this year with T-shirts to uh, reinforce the P4 pillars of our program, and it's been really cool. And three of our P words, and they get a T-shirt. So the players like that. You know, anytime you give them gear, they like that for sure. Uh, it's, it's been really impactful, and just keeps it at the forefront of what we're talking about. But I really need self-starters as coaches. I value that as probably as much as anything. I'm not a micromanager. I didn't want to be micromanaged and I wasn't with Coach Merchant. She would give you a task and then just expect you to do it and do it to the best of your ability. That's how I am as a head coach. Somebody said this a long time ago, you hire confident people to do a job and then you let them do their job. Well, if you're not, then you try and help them and give them tools and resources. But I really give a lot of responsibility to our assistant coaches, both in practice and game nights and out of season. So we're pretty consistent with that. I love having players that played for us. Yeah. Uh, whether it was me at Michigan State as an assistant coach or Eastern Michigan or here. We've had a fair amount of those and currently have two on our staff now. So I love that because they can talk to the players and say, well, this is what he's trying to convey, right? When they don't understand quite where I'm coming from. So do you love staff meetings or you don't love staff meetings? I'm not a huge meeting guy. We have them. I've never been a long meeting type of person. You know, we, I feel like we can get things done independently and pull it together in short windows and make sure that we're all on the same page when we come out of there. But uh, no, it's not something that you'd see a lot of in this wing anyway. So here's another thing that I thought was super cool after we played each other this season. And I think it's really beneficial for young coaches. So we have this hard fought game and then you huddle your team instantly on the floor after the game. And it really caught me off guard. Being on the men's side for 20 plus years, had not seen this form of togetherness really ever. And I was walking back and I was like, man, Coach Shane really loves his players. Is it common for you to connect like this? Yeah, we started doing this 
I remember that game so well. You know, that was the culmination of everybody dealt with COVID situations that year. And right. We had been through it leading up to that game and over the holidays. And, you know, I remember trying to flip the game to Eastern Michigan. It was supposed to be a home game at our place. And, right. Uh, we were having bleacher issues, and we were we were just a mess. So we ended up playing it there, which probably strategically wasn't a you know you're coming back from a long break and not sure who's going to be available until you COVID test them in that morning before the game to even get on the bus and go there. So everything just seemed to be stacked against us, and so there was a lot of elation in that. It's like oh my gosh, like we just look what we just overcame and went on the road and beat a good team on their court after all we've been through for the last fourteen. 17 days and but the huddling on the court I, we started doing that i don't know two three years ago probably through covid because this is a locker room situations and and i liked it it's something that's going to stick with us and it's probably one thing i could say that had the young coach going in like sometimes after a game whether it's you know you're you just won a big one or you lost a hard one or you played awful and got your butt kicked is you know you're so emotional and to go right into a locker room and start yeah. venting and talking about what just happened right sometimes can cause you some issues that you don't want to deal with and so it taught me and i've learned this different ways too is to be patient in a response whether it's good or bad is to i think it's helped us not me not go into a locker room and say something that i wish i wouldn't have said right and just stay consistent so when we win we we celebrate real quick when we lose we have just a short either way it's just pretty short conversation and we send them in the locker room or at home we'll let them go right to their families and converse with their families. But, but yeah, I remember that being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we just overcame what we just overcame in that victory at your guys' place that year. You guys have great size, great versatility. I think you do a really good job of picking on mismatches. Like is size and athleticism and versatility a big part of your recruiting makeup? Yeah, it really is. The um, You saw the movie Moneyball or uh, Red Book or anything, any concept yeah. of that, it's kind of, that's kind of stuck with me. I used to be the person that's like, you know, your five's got to be the back to the basket and six two to six four and possess this skill set and your four needs to look like this. And, you know, right down the line, at the end of the day, we were missing players and not giving enough time to some players because they didn't fit the, you know, the dimensional criteria maybe. But at the end of the day, it's like, do they produce? And, you know, it's kind of stuck with me from the beginning from that, seeing some of that money ball stuff. But then it became, the game as a whole has become a whole lot more positionless across the board. And that's when we go on the road right now, that's what we're looking for is versatility. You know, can you guard one through five? Can you score in multiple positions? Can you, you know, as a guard, can you go down on the block and know what you're doing? And as a coach, can you come out on the perimeter and, I'm not looking uncomfortable doing that. So it is the first criteria that we go after, but hopefully we get the size. But even if not, you'll you'll see our point guard is five foot something, five foot six, she says. We're not sure that's true, but you know, she she might be fronting and fighting and kicking and scratching with a six three, six four post player. Right. So we definitely like versatility. So I think I have the year right, two thousand six, go back to eastern Michigan, Coach Merchant was on maternity leave. You're the acting head coach. How big of a year was that for you professionally? It was uh, very helpful for me, probably professionally. I don't, I can't say for certainty, but what I know for sure it was helpful for me professionally was when Susie ultimately ended up after that end of the year getting the Michigan State job. So I had to make a decision about whether I was going to try and stay at Eastern and become the next head coach after her, which I should have had a decent shot at that. I don't couldn't tell you because it didn't. I didn't end up doing it, but I opted to go to Michigan State with her. Mm-hmm. 
in the, and so it helped me more to grow into, I think, a better assistant coach based on that year, even though I'd been a head coach before. Uh, just kind of helped me relive, and it's certainly at a different level, what's really important for an assistant coach. And uh, I think that helped me be better when I got to Michigan State and went from interim head coach to back to being an assistant coach again. So how do you balance being a head coach in a tremendous women's basketball league, a husband, a father, and a grandfather? I think I've mentioned this before. My wife is probably my biggest catalyst in uh, helping me with that. She's and, and those grandkids. I tell you what, when those when we first heard we were going to be grandparents, I'd be lying if I didn't say, "Oh my gosh, that's that means we're old. That means we're in the last phase of our life." And I'm like, kind of struggling with the whole thing, right? Until I laid eyes on that kid, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be the coolest thing ever," and it has been. We uh, we can't just or middle one so mila who's just turned eight recently got an ipad for her birthday and so now she's on messenger and she's sending me <laughs> messenger messages so i found myself last night i just messaged her and i said hey buttercup what's up like <laughs> uh, she got bit by a dog uh, recently so i was checking on her lip there and i said grandpa's missing you when can we see you so you know those are things you just don't know what being a grandparent is going to be like until you're doing it and i'm telling you it's nothing you want to rush into but it's just one of the best titles I've had in my life so far. And you know, I think it's important for our players to see you know, what coach doesn't talk about family and team. You're trying to mold your, mold your team as a family. And then if you're trying to do that and you're never seen with your family or you don't include your family in things, I just think it's contradictory and it doesn't help you blend your family that you're trying to blend as your team. So I try to let them understand the commitment that I have to each is equal and equally important. but. Yeah, and, and the coaches in this league, and it, it is a great league, and you know, you're know you always fighting for supremacy, and there's 12 teams each year that want to have that prize, and the only one is going to get it. But I think this league, the parity in this league, and the fact that we haven't had a long time, just perennial champion year after year for some time now, speaks to uh, the balance and the parity and the quality of coaching within this league that you compete against. So, Coach Shane, I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? Yeah, this is um, this, this is a good one, and I think first and foremost, you have to be committed to this profession, clearly, and you do that, but you, you have to be committed no matter how long it takes you to get to where you're trying to get to, whether it's, you know, to be a, a D1 assistant or a Power 5 assistant or whatever it is you're trying to be, but be committed to that, and most importantly, no matter how long it takes you to get there, because you know, there's so many, I think there's too many young coaches that uh, become an assistant coach for one or two years and they, you know, they're ready to be a head coach and that's fine, but it takes longer than that in most cases. And I think the longer it takes you, the better prepared that you are. So be patient with the climb, wherever you're trying to get to take in as much as you can along the way and, and hone your craft, right? Like, what do you want to hang your hat on? I think equally important is always be authentic. Like, don't try to be someone you aren't. Be you and aspire to be what you want to be, but always be you first. One thing, Kevin, I would say that I was not very good at in early in my career, and it's something I think is mega important anymore, is networking. Right. right? You have to you have to get out there and network. You, you have to find your circle, and your circle doesn't have to be that big, but your circle has to be 
you have to surround yourself with the people that you know are not necessarily like-minded, but you just have to line up some of your values most importantly. And then spend a lot of time networking, spend as much time as you can visiting other programs, watching other coaches operate, see what you like, see what you don't like, and sit through that. And when you get a chance, whether whatever you're trying to be, mold all that stuff together and make the best version of yourself that you can be. Well, Coach Shane, I knew this would be awesome. You know, one of my friends texted me this last night and said, Joe, the one thing about Coach Shane is that his players absolutely love playing for him. And to me, that's one of the most ultimate compliments that a coach can get. You know, it was an honor just in my one season of women's basketball to coach against you this season. Massive respect. Wishing you and your team a great fall. And I just want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to share a small part of your coaching story and help young coaches. You know, Coach Drow couldn't have done it if you hadn't asked me. So the the uh, privilege was mine, and I appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, we'll cross paths here on the road, I'm sure, somewhere, somewhere in the near future. And I uh, we'll look forward to visiting visiting with you some more. But thanks for what you do for our profession as well. Well, go Broncos! Thanks, Coach. That was a great conversation with Coach Shane Clipfell. Here are some things that I love that Coach Shane shared. On why does Coach Shane coach competition, always trying to win? And don't try to beat Coach Shane home from work. But Coach Shane loves seeing growth, and he loves seeing those who commit to their process. I love when Coach Shane said that his high school coach saw something in him that he did not see in himself. And the respect that Coach Shane has for Coach Susie Merchant, a friend, a colleague, a great basketball coach. How about when Coach Shane said, we helped each other through some tough times in life. I like when Coach Shane said, my wife is the queen of organization and culture. You have to do something related to culture every day or you're going backwards. Incredible stuff there. Coach Shane applied for the Western Michigan job three different times. Western Michigan is a blue-collar university, and the people here have been phenomenal. How about when Coach Shane talked about being so calm, never too high, never too low, keep an even keel. Great stuff on timeouts, Coach Shane. What is needed? Time score possession. To his players, what do you guys see? You have to admire how Coach Shane allows Coach Russ to run their defense. A new defense, which was modeled from Texas Tech. A ball screen defense that has allowed Coach Shane to sleep at night. What does Coach Shane value from his assistants? He values loyalty and loyalty to each other. And that loyalty translates to buying into the pillars of their program. And for sure, you can tell that Coach Shane values self-starters. Love that Coach Shane's not a huge meeting guy. I would encourage you to get to Western Michigan women's game this season and to see Coach Shane huddle his team after the game on the court. It is truly beautiful. They celebrate real quick. Be patient in your response after games. Head coaches, great advice. How the movie Moneyball has inspired Coach Shane to look for size and versatility. And for sure, they are a versatile program. I would recommend going back and listening to the part how Coach Shane talked about when he was the acting coach at EMU, how it helped him in his career. And how did it help him? It helped him become a better assistant coach. Incredible perspective. And finally, Coach Shane's simple tips for young coaches. Be committed to this profession. Be patient with the climb. Be you first. You have to network, but you have to find your own circle, your circle where you're aligned with the same values. Thank you, Coach Shane Klipfel, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Drow. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. 
again. If you're looking for high-quality athletic gear and uniforms, check out Moneyball Sportswear. And I can't say this enough. If you're looking for a great book to read, you have to grab a copy of Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy, Alive with Purpose. Finally, if you're looking for another amazing book, pre-order Rashad Phillips' book, Basketball Position Metric. Stay safe. I can't say this enough. Be you. Keep coaching. And see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.